Welcome, Superhero Ethics fans. A quick note before this episode. Once again this time, Jacob and I recorded live, and it was a fantastic conversation, but we had some sound issues. Jacob did a really heroic job cleaning up most of them, and we think this episode is definitely good enough to to listen to, but we know that it's still not up to our normal standards, and we wanted to say that we apologize for that, that we recognize that this is not the kind of sound quality we want to get out to you, and that future episodes are going to be significantly improved over this one. So with that, on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the 49th episode of Superhero Ethics. I'm Matthew, one of your hosts. Hello, I'm Jacob. I'm also one of your hosts. And today we're talking about something that I'm guessing a few others of you have been talking about, which is the new uh, Avengers movie, Infinity War. And let me say very clearly from the beginning, we are going to be spoiling everything about this movie. And as we know, Thanos demands your silence. So in order not to incur Thanos' wrath, Thanos' wrath, if you have not seen the movie, please pause this podcast, go out, go see the movie, then come back and keep listening because we're going to be talking about it quite a lot. Yeah, I, I want to thank you a lot for saying that because if you didn't, I was going to. Seriously, if you are at all into the MCU, this is not one that you want to miss and just catch the highlight reel on. Watch this movie. Stop listening right now. It's the only time we're going to tell you not to listen to us. <laughs> Stop listening right now. Go out. Watch Infinity War. Trust us. It, it's worth seeing. Now, and for this, I think we're going to basically, we're going to talk about a lot from the movie, but the main topic I think we're going to be talking about today is the topic of sacrifice, and the topic of who can make a sacrifice, who gets to decide, who else gets to make a sacrifice, and what we learned about our heroes uh, in in this movie. Um, and so let me just start, uh, Jacob, by asking, before we dive into really the ethical questions, what, what did you think of this movie? What was your impression? So, much like uh, my... So, when we were talking about Star Wars movies specifically, uh, this comes to mind where my favorite Star Wars movie is still, well, it's very close, but it's still The Empire Strikes Back because there's something about that 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 visceral, that punch in the gut that you get when the bad guys win, when our hero, we, we end the movie and our heroes are at their lowest point that I just, I really enjoy it. It's not because, like, I'm, you know, a masochist or what have you, or a sadist if, if you're <laughs> looking at these characters and not identifying with these characters. But it's that there's you have to you have to be able to craft a story where that feels earned, where it actually does feel like a real yeah. loss when it happens. And so when it is executed well, as I feel it was in the Infinity War, I just I eat it up. It, it's fantastic to me. I, I would agree with that. And on the it's funny because well, I, I think Empire is still my favorite. If it isn't, Last Jedi is, or Rogue One. And and granted, Rogue One, there's a victory, but at a high cost. Rogue Last Jedi, so Last Jedi, there's even more of a loss than Empire. And, and I think in this movie especially, I liked it even more because, like Last Jedi, this movie surprised me. In so many ways, I didn't think I could be surprised by movies anymore. By Marvel movies specifically. Because I will say, from time and again, my biggest complaint about Marvel movies has been that death seems to have no meaning. Um, and what I mean by that is that within the movie itself, um, for me, I love the movie Avengers, the first one, but they give you such a moment at the end of Tony Stark being willing to accept his own death and to um, deal with his own death, spoilers for the first Avengers movie, and then he doesn't die. You know, and then at the end of Defenders, again, spoilers for Defenders, 
we get this beautiful moment of it looks like Matt Murdock has died, but then of course he didn't. And to me, to see the movie end with actual characters dying. And now, yes, I, I, I know you're all wanting to at me already. Obviously, there's a great likelihood that many of these characters aren't dead, that something's going to happen in the second movie that will bring either some of them back or all of them back. The possibility that all the ones who went to Ash didn't actually die, they just were transported into the Soul Stone. There are so many possibilities there. But still, in this one movie, as an individual movie, it gave you the emotional power of people dying. You know, if Peter Parker says to, to Tony Stark, please, Mr. Stark, I don't want to go, I don't want to go, and then somehow something saves him, that moment doesn't have any power. But because it did, and because the movie was willing to let us go through that, and like you, I like maybe, it's funny, we should talk about liking spicy food. We like mm -hmm. getting punched in the face. I kind of <laughs> want a movie to do the same thing. Um, not even as much because I like the sort of wallowing emo gothness of it, although there's a part <laughs> of that for me, but it's because it makes everything that happened in them, it, it gives the movie stakes, it gives things consequences um, in a way that Marvel has done some of, but in this, it really blew me away. Right, and, and anybody who's listened to a previous episode of Superhero Ethics, you've probably gotten the idea that Matthew and I really like it when there are consequences in our stories. <laughs> uh, when we talked about Kingdom Come, and we talked about the, the cataclysmic event toward the end of it, one of the things that really hit home was like, there was, there was a real loss and it stuck. Yeah. And how powerful that was and how much it made the story better. Because I feel The Last Jedi is much in the same way where we get, we get real losses. Uh, Luke Skywalker goes away. Spoilers for The Last Jedi. We're, yeah. we're going to spoil literally everything that's what we <laughs> talked about on this one. Because there's a lot of connections that we can make. Uh, between the various media that we've dis discussed, because as it turns out, Infinity War was, I'm going to say, a very well-crafted movie. They knew what they were doing going into this. They knew what they were setting up. And I feel that they executed on their mission very well. They gave us 50% of what they intended to deliver. Yeah. Uh, which, I will say, so I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying I like it. Uh, I am going to level one criticism against it in that Infinity War itself felt really rushed. Mm -hmm. Um I would have, I would have actually preferred if we really took our time with it and went through the acquisition of the of the Infinity Stones over, over the course of a couple of movies. Yeah. Just because then we could all establish the impact uh, on on the different forms rather than Thanos doing his you know rock star tour of the galaxy getting all of the stones. Um, among other things, we didn't get enough time. I'm sure we'll talk about this a bit more, but we. I think we didn't get enough time to care more about Vision specifically yeah. and, and the Vision Scarlet Witch dichotomy, uh, their relationship specifically. And I felt that, that that loss, that particular loss, could have had a much higher impact had, I, we, had we had the time. I would agree with that, especially because, and I'm hoping we'll get some of this in the second movie, as you all know, I love and adore Civil War. It's probably now my third favorite Marvel movie after Infinity War, after Black Panther first, Infinity War second. Um, but it's still, I adore it. And I will say that there was so much from Infinity War that I wanted to see paid off in this movie. And and like what you said, like Vision and Scarlet Witch end that movie on complete opposite sides and they're they're connecting because i think they're both equally concerned about war machine about roadie um but but there was a jump to see where they got to got together and similarly um 
you know, obviously we have not yet had Tony and Cap in the same room, and we had some lovely moments about the, the simple fact that Tony has been carrying around that cell phone with him clearly every day since then. It, it had a lot of power. But I would have liked... And I understand sort of making General Ross the ridiculous one, and therefore we just blow, sort of Secretary Ross, and therefore we just kind of blow past him. But there was, I, I would have liked to see more of, we are doing all of this in the Sokovia Accords world, and what mm -hmm. does that mean? Um, the one thing I will say that I really liked about this, and I think this was kind of the director saying, you know what, the director of the other movie was stupid, we're going to, or I'm kind of saying everything that Joss Whedon did was in Ultron was kind of stupid, was the the fact that we had almost nothing between Bruce and Natasha. Um, you know, Natasha kind of says, hey, and Bruce, you know, sort of gives her an awkward nod that shows them that he has awkward feelings about her. But they didn't try to rekindle the romance. They didn't try to go back to that. Instead, it was just Bruce really wrestling with not being able to Hulk out again, which I do think is related to the fact that Natasha kind of forced him to be the Hulk and he was stuck in the Hulk for years and years. Um, and so I, I loved what they did there. I just wished some of the other parts of Civil War had had a payoff. Well, and I feel like the uh, when we were exploring the Hulk specifically, uh, I also feel like the Hulk for the first time in its existence, in, in the Hulk's existence, his existence, excuse me, um, actually was made to know fear during yeah. the confrontation with Thanos on, on the Asgardian ship. And I think actually that, so we could, this is not a topic we were, we were intending to talk about, uh, but I would love to explore that on a later podcast because I feel that that is, when, when you've got somebody who's, you know, this unstoppable force who suddenly has experienced fear for the first time. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is a story beat I really wish that they had explored. I, I think that's where they're going with it. I think that's why Hulk refused to come out and continue to refuse to come out for the entire movie. But yeah. Uh, it's a fascinating idea, a little bit off topic from where we wanted to go. Yeah. Um, I think that they didn't explore Bruce and Natasha because there wasn't time, because mm -hmm. there wasn't time for the story beats they wanted to give us, much less the story beats like those. But we had plenty of time to uh, to establish the singularity, the, uh, the um, how do I want to put it? Uh, so, so there was a, a humility vacuum. Uh, in the movie, when Tony Stark and Stephen Strange were in the same room at the same time talking to each other, yeah, uh, they, they established that hubris singularity. And I, I will say, one of the things the movie also did really well was the was the teams that wound up coming up with. Because you're right, like Doctor Strange and Tony are so you know it's ego against ego, and balancing them with the most humble person in the whole Marvel universe, Peter Parker, I thought mm -hmm. was such a brilliant thing. I also think that Rocket and Thor, I want to see their road movie. Like, mm -hmm. and, and I agree with you, it would have been nice to... And I don't think anyone really wanted six Infinity, Infinity Stone movies, mm -hmm. but I kind of do. I, I think you're right. <laughs> I would have been fine. I, I would have been nice to see a whole movie that was Thor and... Um, um, and, and I will say, though, and, and this maybe can take us into our main topic, the, thing, the other thing that really surprised me most was Thanos. That... Marvel has been known for a long time to have, at least Marvel movies, a villain problem. You know, most Marvel villains are not actually that good. Um, Marvel Netflix villains are fantastic. Even some of the Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. villains are great. Recently, they've been getting a lot better. And I will say Killmonger, I think, is probably my favorite, if not Loki. One of those two. Um, no, actually, Killmonger a lot more than Loki. But Thanos is also up there, really, for me. And I... 
I literally, I, I said to my partner as we went into the movie, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to this. I can't imagine that Thanos is going to at all be a villain I can relate to. I, I, he just, we've had no backstory for him. He's just going to want to destroy the world. And as I, I, I said to you a couple of hours ago, no mustaches were twirled in the making of this movie. Right, you know, right. they managed to make him a villain who had a believable plan that is, I can't quite say relatable, but I can at least, I can understand how he utterly believes he is the good guy in his story. And what makes Thanos so terrifying as a villain, you're absolutely right, he's, he's very, um, he's a character you can actually, in some ways at least, identify with. But his principal motivation is compassion. And this is something that is usually reserved for our heroes, right? Um, Newt Scamander is, is the one that immediately comes to mind as a hero who is principally motivated by compassion. What a beautiful character that is. Right. But when, when we put it into a character like Thanos, without, so we twist it. We twist it into something that drives him into this um, <clears throat> massive universe-altering event where he's removing half of the life in, in the known universe. Right. Uh, out of this sense of this is going to improve the quality of life for everybody involved, for everybody who sticks around, and therefore it is an action worth taking. So I would I, I would push back a little bit on I, I agree with most of that, but I push back a little bit on the use of the word compassion. Because to me, the word that really comes to mind when I think of what he's doing is utilitarianism. And compassion to me, part of what that means is being aware of the suffering of individuals. And Thanos is purely playing a numbers game. And, and, and not only, yet, I think, he, I think he wants the absolute best for the most possible people. And maybe he believes that, like, that those half the world who blinks out of existence are going to um, uh, not suffer. But Nebula, his own daughter, absolutely, I mean, he is literally torturing her to try to get Gamora. Um, so many other people he is actively doing harm to. I think it is a version of compassion. It is something akin to a cat compassion, but I, I don't really think the compassion utilitarianism so fit together. I, th I, I think you're wrong. Okay. Uh, because <laughs> from the perspective of Thanos, they do. Yeah. Right? I'm speaking from his character's position uh, when I say that he's motivated by compassion. Well, he truly believes that what he is doing is the right thing. Right. And we have seen, time and time again, stories where a hero does that. When we talked about how much we hate this trope, right? Where a hero is like, come hell or high water, I'm going to do this because I know it's the right thing to do. And I'm not going to respect anybody else's wishes or anybody else's ideas about what whether or not what I'm doing is a bad thing. Right. I'm just going to do my thing. Thanos is exactly that character. The difference is our heroes are aligned against him, and what he's doing is on the cosmic scale, right? He wants to affect the entire universe, right? and he believes that because what his ultimate goal is, is the maximum reduction of suffering, that it is the right thing to do. Yeah, I think, I think to some extent this is just a semantic argument, because mm -hmm. I think it's more that for me... My, like, to me, compassion fits into a virtue ethics kind of idea, where it's really about, like... I am going to do the best thing I can of living out the ideals that I believe in, one of which is compassion. Whereas utilitarianism, like, to, to, I, I guess to me, compassion stands against utilitarianism because mm -hmm. so much of what he is saying is many people will suffer so that more people will not suffer. And, and yes, the, the 
global mathematical amount of suffering in the universe is, is by his thinking, I don't think his plan will work, but by his thinking, he is reducing the amount of suffering in the universe. But at least as I define compassion, actively causing suffering of many so that many more won't suffer, that, that doesn't feel like compassion. It feels like, or at least it feels like a very misguided version of compassion. So what do you think, do you think the, the act of a mercy killing is compassionate? Because this is what I relate it to. Well, see, here's the thing, is that a mercy killing is the... I guess here's actually, I can use this exact example, um, because I, I've done a lot of uh, ethical work around sort of mercy killing and euthanasia and stuff like that. And I think when the idea is that an individual person is suffering and wants to be put out of their misery, then mercy killing is something that I generally am fully ethically okay with. But when you say grandma's continuing to be alive is causing a huge burden on everyone else. And so, yes, she is suffering, but we're also taking into consideration all the suffering of someone else, and thus we are choosing for grandma mm. that she should be killed. Mm -hmm. That, to me, takes on a very different perspective. And that's more to me, because what he, he and the thing is, and, and granted, this is something more, this is an interesting connection, this is something we talk about for the heroes all the time as well, he is making the decision for the whole universe about what is best for them. Sure. Uh, and to me, that's where I well, feel like... Right, we, we obviously don't believe that at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, we've had that that uh, that happen on a, on a more micro scale in a lot of these other media we've talked about. Uh, and we didn't like it there, and we certainly aren't going to like it when we're talking about the, the whole creation. Right. right? Uh, but, yeah. No, so, so... I, I, sorry, I pushed you a bit on that because I thought it was an interesting uh, yeah, di right. slight divergence in how we perceive uh, the how we perceive uh, Thanos' motivations, but also just on the idea of what it means to be compassionate in general. Um, they also humanized Thanos in the story in many ways that I really appreciated to show us that he that this was not somebody who was so twisted and evil that they were incapable of of any of the feelings we normally associate with with uh, you or I, right? Um, and whether or not you like, so I I do firmly believe that uh, Thanos was in fact crying when he threw Gamora off the cliff to get the Soul Stone because this was a price he was going to have to pay for it, and he still believed it was the right thing to do, but it tore him up inside because he actually really cared. So, and I admit that is a moment where I really wished we had more of Thanos' actual backstory. Because part of what I was wrestling with in that moment is how are you both a loving father enough that having to kill Gamora physically pains you and causes you grief and you're also the father of Nebula and happily torturing her. And I think, I mean, one of the things that Nebula and Gamora in their own, in their own discussions in um, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, and I thought this was probably the best plotline of that movie, they established the idea that from their perspective, you know, Gamora had been his favorite and that, you know, Nebula had been tortured mm -hmm. by him and that Gamora's role in that torture obviously is a big part of her motivation in this movie. But I, I wish we had seen flashbacks where we could actually see that from Thanos because I was having trouble believing that Thanos loved her that much when so much of what we had seen of him as a parent had been so very different. Especially because, like, Gamora, Gamora seemed actually much much more anti-Thanos than Nebula was. Mm -hmm. um, 
And we can sort of headcanon that to understand it better in terms of, you know, that because Nebula didn't get his love as much that she's more hungry for it. And so on. And there's all sorts of psychological things we could put on there, but I wish we'd gotten that more because I agree with you that I, 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 I felt for Thanos in that moment, but I, I, I had, but I would have felt for him a lot more if we'd seen more of that. Well, I felt for Thanos insofar as I was like, oh, okay, more like I feel bad because Gamora doesn't realize that he does in fact have those feelings. I don't feel bad that he made the decision that he did, uh, other than that was wrong and he shouldn't have done that. Right. Like, that should have been where he stopped and went, that's not a price I'm willing to pay. But honestly, clearly he is. That's the whole character, right? His goal wouldn't be realized if he weren't willing to just arbitrarily decide who gets to live and who doesn't. And this, I think, gets us into the meat of what we wanted to talk about today, which is this idea of sacrifice. Because, and I want us to go through and talk about, I, I mean, every time he gets one of the, you know, he is willing to make a sacrifice, and that's how he gets the soul stone. And in theory, his whole point is most half of us have to sacrifice, so the other half are okay. But as I read it, Every time he gets a soul stone, except the one that we see where he... An in infinity stone. An infinity stone, sorry. Every time he gets one, except the one that he gets off screen by, by destroying Xandar, he gets it in large part because one of the heroes is not willing to make a sacrifice. Uh, and we'll talk... Each one is a little bit different. And I walked out... At, at first, my thought was just, you know, Gamora and Cap, you were so stupid. How could you have not made those sacrifices? And the more I think about it, the more I, I and I've heard other people talk about this, I think that was kind of one of the major themes of the movie, is that Thanos gets what he wants because he's willing to make the sacrifice that everyone else doesn't. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a little bit terrifying because at any point along the way, uh, all it would take was one character being willing to do that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, uh, Stephen Strange has two different moments where he, may, he can choose to sacrifice uh, once to sacrifice the time stone itself, and another to sacrifice Tony Stark, and he's unwilling to do either. Now, there's probably reasons why he's unwilling to sacrifice Tony Stark, given the yeah the, the nonsense prognostication that he did. But well, and so let, let's not use this as time to dive into each one of these because each one poses some really interesting ethical questions. Um, and so the first the first one he gets is the Tesseract, is the um. The Space Stone? The that one's the Space Stone. Space Stone, yeah. yeah. Um, and here what we have is Loki, who, I, I mean, to now, like, selfless and self-sacrificing -sacri for love of his brother is not really the word you put on him. Um, but here he is willing to say, please spare my brother's life and I will give you the Soul Stone. I'll give you the Space Stone. Mm -hmm. um, what was your take on that? So... And we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, but especially at that point in the early game, because Loki at first says, go ahead, it's no skin off my back. Uh, basically trying to call Thanos on his bluff. Uh, Thanos clearly proves he's not bluffing. Uh, and Loki has a rare moment of, oh crap, I do care about my brother, this sucks. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is, is really touching. Um, but I do feel that for Loki... His sacrifice is actually giving up the Tesseract and isn't giving up his mm. brother. Uh, and that's mostly because Loki, uh, Loki's always been uh, an entity with a plan, an Asgardian with a plan, right? Uh, or rather, a Frostbite with a plan, uh, where 
when when Loki's doing something, he's usually got a couple moves ahead planned out. And he usually doesn't give something up unless he's got some plan to reclaim or somehow get get one up. Right. right? And especially given the situation that they're in, which you know seems dire but also rather instantaneous, you can almost see the wheels turning in uh, in Loki's eyes, I feel, where he's like, okay. He's, he's only the second stone. We can get out of this. And if I have Thor, that's another that's another card in my hand that I can use to get this back. So if I give this up now, I'll have a better game later. Whereas if Thor goes away, uh, Thanos might still get the stone out of me, and then we're down both of us. Yeah, and that I think it's an interesting take, and I I had not thought of that before. I was thinking of this purely as a. Post-Ragnarok, his father has died, his sister has now died, his adopted world has died, and he has had some degree of character evolution that he's now maybe more willing to, to see uh, Thor in that light. Um, before you had explained it the way you had, I was still thinking that he is just one more of the stupid decisions. Um, as we're going to get to later, I, I don't think of it as quite as bad as Gamora's, uh, or even Cap's to some extent, because in that moment, Thanos is in the room with the stone, mm-hmm. you know? And I I can understand Loki having a perspective of, if I don't give it to him, he just kills me and takes it anyway. Yeah. Um, and granted, we don't know the physics of it. Is he using illusion magic and that kind of thing? And maybe that that's sort of a, a headcanon you can put in. But I still... And, and, and your perspective, I think, also helped. And I do, I do think that, that maybe from that kind of self-calculating way, he's... What he is doing is it makes some sense, but I am gonna, the theme that I'm going to keep coming back to is when you have the chance to not give the tyrant who wants to destroy half the universe a tool towards doing it, mm-hmm. you don't do it. No, you, um, you're not supposed to. Uh, and one thing I do want to to caveat this with is that that's that's what's going on in my head when I'm watching that scene. I think that's what's going on in Loki's head when we're watching that scene. I think the reason why he doesn't choose to give up Thor has nothing to do with any kind of plan he's making. Yeah. I think it's the same kind of, of not willing to make that sacrifice decision because that's the theme throughout the movie with, with actually one other, with one clear exception um, when it comes to all what happens with the reality stone, right. uh, where the choice is actually taken from our heroes. Um, but, but in this particular case, I do think that However, Loki's justifying his decision to himself is because he's unwilling to give up Thor. Right, I, I think that makes sense. And so now let's um, let's go to the next one, which I, I'm not sure I'm getting the order right, but I think th- this one is going to frame almost all the discussion. Real- which reality is, is next. Okay, we, we, this um, reality was the one with the collector. Yes. yes. Okay. Correct. Right, and so that one was just. T- I mean, they didn't have any chance to stop at that one. Well, so so Gamora and Star Lord had their discussion. For whatever reason, I'm blanking on Star-Lord's, like, real character name. Peter Quill. Peter Quill, thank you. So so Quill and Gamora have their conversation, have their little heart-to-heart. And the moment comes where Gamora's like, okay, we talked about this Quill, kill me. And he, cl- he clearly very much doesn't want to do it, but he does pull the trigger, right. right? Quill proves that in that moment... He is one of the heroes, one of our few heroes, apparently, who's actually willing to make this sacrifice. Which is interesting, given the, the huge fuck-up he does later. But yes. yeah, in that right. moment, he's Correct. willing to... And, and, and also, um, I think we're getting detailed a little confused, um, because my, my memory, the reality stone he pays what they get on Xandar, 
She doesn't. She wants to be right, killed right, because right, she right. has the knowledge about the of soul the soul stone. stone. Right, right. They can't stop him from getting the reality stone. Right. Right. Uh, which. Yeah. Okay. That's unfortunate. Right. Okay. So Quill is right. willing to make that sacrifice. Right. Um, and I, I want to get to Gamora, but let, even though I'm going a lot of order, let, let's talk for a minute about Cap and Vision. Um, yes. Because in some ways, Cap. Cap sort of frames the whole thing with the "we don't trade lives" line. Um. And, and what he is doing there is he's, t- he's saying that he is kind of at using his authority as the leader of the team to stop Vision from, from his, Vision's desire to willingly sacrifice himself. Right. Um, what's your take on Cap's perspective there? Like, um, that we don't trade lives. I, I think Cap's... First of all, he's, he's just a goddamn liar. Yeah. He doesn't understand what he's doing. I don't... I, don't, I do not understand for a second how Steve Rogers can say that in good conscience after what has happened. Right. And what will and what comes later. When like, he jumps on a grenade to try and stop right. it from killing others, he's trading his life. Right. When he, he crashes the plane. He crashes the right. plane. In both of those cases, yeah, I, I I thought Cap is absolutely dead wrong. Right. I mean this was even more wrong than Civil War for me. Um and I hope that that's where the movie is I'm gonna be very disappointed if the second movie is the vindication of his philosophy because to me a, it's deeply hypocritical. So he said, yeah. like, that's yeah. what he does. And B, he's now stopping someone else from willingly trading their life. Right. And it's what, what, what is most upsetting about that is it's clearly the right play, right? This is like, I am willing, I am willing to go. I am willing because my life, Vision is saying, my existence is not worth the, you know, trillions of, of entities that are going to perish as a result of Thanos achieving his objective. So if we can get rid of the Mind Stone, we're good, and my life is worth that. My right. life, and, and if Cap were in that position, he would make the same damn sacrifice, and he wouldn't let anybody tell him no. And so I, I got really upset by Cap denying Vision that choice. Yeah. Uh, although, really, it's not Cap who denies the choice, it's Scarlet Witch, because Cap can't actually rip the gem on his head. Right. right. And I... I agree that it is, it is an impossibly hard thing to ask Scarlet Witch to do. Mm-hmm. Because, and that's, that, you know, to continue the metaphor you were drawing before, this is now the, like, well, it's a mercy killing and I'm, I'm asking you to do the thing. But that's, to, to me, there's a direct parallel of Peter and, you know, Quill and Gamora and um, uh, Wanda and, and Vision. And here again... Maybe if we had more of a movie to develop this idea of a Wanda Vision romance, I would still think she's wrong, but I'd, I'd have at least more emotional resonance with her. I don't. Neither of these two are my favorite characters, and their romance never really was one that I care. I don't ship them. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. And and so I think on an emotional level, I don't have a like. Oh my God, no Wanda having a kid like in that same kind of a way. But yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, it comes down to you have to put your personal feelings aside and help Vision do what he wants to do. Now, to me, where it would have been a real question is if all of them say, Vision, we're sorry, we have to destroy that Mind Stone, and Vision saying no, then it becomes a real, like... Right, then, um, it's, then it's the Tuvix uh, problem from the one episode of Star Trek Voyager, right. where you have Tuvok and Neelix combined as one character... And he doesn't want his unique existence to go away, but Jamie wants her two crew members back. Right. 
That episode is such a problem. <laughs> it's yeah. There's a lot of things in that episode. Um, but even just sticking with it here, in that if, if that was the question, then there they're basically in the same position that Thanos is because they're deciding for someone else. Right. But here, where where Vision wants to make the sacrifice for the rest of them, and especially for for Cap, for for Wanda to say no, to not. I, I get where Wanda doesn't want to do it, but for Cap to support that and to do the whole "we don't trade lives" thing, it just like you said, it's so hypocritical because he clearly trades his own life. And and it's it doesn't work. And it's also demonstrably false because what do they do, what did they do when they set up the procedure to to try to safely extract the Mind Stone from Vision? They throw hundreds upon hundreds of of Wakandans yeah. of the Wakanda military out in front of the enemy, and they're not staying alive, right? So their lives are are apparently disposable, so that Vision can live, so this one entity can live. I have a real problem with that. Yeah. Like, why is Vision more important than all of those Wakandans? And, while I don't think this is the point the movie was making, you know, we can't have that discussion without thinking about, you know, what, you know, the Wakandans being black and Vision mm-hmm. being, I mean, Vision being purple, but, like, uh, that, 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 the fact that it is the Wakandans' lives that are being willing to sacrifice is a point that I think has to be remembered. Right, that, is, that is the military that we are using in that moment. Right, and it's a black military, and that, that mm-hmm. I think is deeply significant as well. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're in pretty much agreement there, um, and there isn't too much to go into, uh, it, it, except to... Go ahead. So, so interestingly, uh, this is yet another instance, the, the Mind Stone being the last stone that Thanos acquires. Uh, this is another instance where our heroes ultimately, or in this case, Scarlet Witch, ultimately does honor uh, Vision's wish, but she has that choice taken away from her. Right. She actually succeeds. It destroys the Mind Stone and annihilates Vision in the process. And Thanos just uh, you know, lives out uh, who does that song? Oh, Cher. Cher, yeah. <laughs> lives out a Cher song. Uh, thank you. For whatever reason, that even though we alluded to it in, uh, in Kingdom Come right. <laughs> as well, but yeah, he, he does that thing and just Deletes the whole choice. Well, and there, and maybe here's the, a parallel to what we were talking about before with with Star Lord. Both Star Lord and Wanda are willing eventually to make that sacrifice, mm-hmm. but they do it too late. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things that I wondered if sort of was the point was by Quill waiting so long, yeah. Thanos had been able to stop it. He didn't know it was coming, and you can get into the head canon of that either way. It's not clear, but certainly it's clear Wanda waited too long. If yeah. she was willing to do it before, Thanos wouldn't have and had the time stone, he wouldn't have been there, he couldn't have stopped. And Quill also waited too long because he had the gun pointed at Thanos' head. If he had just dropped it down and shot immediately uh, before Thanos could twig to what Gamora was talking about, right? Uh, then he wouldn't have had the opportunity to use the reality stone to turn the gun into a bubble dispenser. Yeah. I don't know what Thanos' like, predilection with... With bubble guns, in, <laughs> but like that, he does that trick multiple times. So I think somewhere in his past, he like really liked bubbles. As I, I, and I, short aside, I will say I didn't love that detail because it seemed a little bit too. To me, the moment you hear the click of the gun and you realize that Peter was willing to shoot her, mm-hmm. should be a moment with incredible emotional significance. Yes, it's robbed by the bubbles being yeah. a silly joke took that away a little bit. Yeah. So. But let's let's stay on Quill, um, because I, I think you made a great point. I want to let you make it. Um, 
when they almost have a plan to, to stop Thanos and the plan doesn't work, you were saying that, 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 that you know, in a way, it's an, another place where Quill isn't willing to make his sacrifice. And what, what, right. What, so in this particular that? case, they're trying to stop Thanos from getting the, the time jump. But they've met him on Titan, and they're they're having their fight out with him. And the, the uh, to to their credit, Tony and Spider Man and Stephen Strange and Drax the Destroyer, they've got and Mantis and Mantis, the they, right? Because Mantis, Mantis uh, is uh, keeping his brain locked. Uh, so they have actually got Thanos on lockdown, and they're trying to remove the gauntlet. Um, so their plan is working, and. When Quill finds out about uh, what Thanos did in order to acquire the Soul Stone, that, that he killed Gamora, now suddenly the universe doesn't matter anymore. And, I mean, this is very consistent with Quill's character. This is why he took too long to to pull the trigger on Gamora and, and himself. Um, but he, he sort of loses his head. He doesn't think naturally. And in this, this particular moment, he lets his own concerns... Go above, and yeah. this is this is the exact same thing that that uh, Captain America was doing. Same thing that Scarlet Witch, in many ways, is doing is that they're they're doing the thing that that we're told our heroes shouldn't do, which is putting what they want ahead of what's best for for yeah. for the it's the anti Spock thing. When Spock sacrifices himself at the end of Battle Khan, right? He is doing he is making the right choice. I, I just right. have to name, and I'm probably gonna actually include this in the show notes. There is. The most beautiful meme I've seen about this entire movie is one is the top is a shot of Cap saying we don't trade lives, and the bottom is a shot of Spock in the radiation chamber having given himself up to save the Enterprise, and the words are "fuck you say," right. um, which I thought was so brilliant. But 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 getting back to Peter, I, I think you're right. There, it's that he's not. I mean, he's the the epitome of the cocky white boy. You know, mm-hmm. who just is. He sees that he is angry and he is going to give into his emotions. Right. And I think I think you're right that there's a parallel. But to me, the level of I can like I'm going to talk more about Gamora and why I think she should have let her sister die. I think Loki should have let his brother die. I think all these people should have made those sacrifices. But there you are talking about sacrificing an actual person they love. Mm-hmm. Quill just has to swallow his pride. Quill just has to be able to put aside his emotion in the moment and say, you know what, you're, he has to sacrifice his feelings. Right. And, and, and acknowledge that his desire for vengeance in that moment is less important. And to me, that is so much less of a sacrifice that I have to walk away saying, like, I, I can emotionally relate to why those other people made the wrong decision. Quill is just a fucking idiot. Well, especially since all he had to do was be patient, right? All he had right. to do was wait for them to get the gauntlet off, and he can go to town on Thanos. He doesn't have that, like, supremely powerful art- artifact yeah. anymore. All he had to do was wait for, like, two minutes, maybe. Now, and I will say, as a bit of writing, I thought it was brilliant, because, I mean, Star-Lord has presented us to us in the first movie, and someone in the second movie, as the ultimate man-child. Mm-hmm. And I both found it really enjoyable... But also in my head, I'm watching it and I'm thinking about all the ways in which our culture is starting to say, you know what, maybe making heroes out of man-children and mm. guys who are just cocky and fun and live by their emotions and who cares because devil may care and who cares about the consequences, that actually maybe that's kind of problematic. 
And I do think that the writers did something brilliant here in saying, yes, you're right. He was the hero of those two fun movies, but when actual real push comes to shove, consequences face him, his man-childness is the problem. Right. And he gives into it, and because of that, uh, they... Because of that and some other things. So he's he's not the only reason the Time Stone gets captured, right? right? But he is a reason the Time Stone gets captured. There's a there's sort of a cascading series of failures there. Right. Um, now, you can argue whether Stephen Strange uh, giving up the Time Stone to Thanos uh, in exchange for Tony Stark's life is actually playing the... is actually sac- is actually making the right sacrifice or not. Because at this point in time, Stephen Strange has apparently viewed some absurd number in the in the tens of thousands of, of probabilities from that point from a point in time forward, and has seen one where they succeed. And probably in that moment, what the, probably the line we're going to get sold is that he's that this future requires that he saw requires Tony Stark to continue past this point. Right. So he knows if Tony Stark is gone, that the one possibility where they actually come out of this. Uh, goes away. Yeah, I, I, when I think of the people who I'm like, how could you have done that? Doctor Strange is not in that conversation for that reason. Because I, I fully believe, I think he would have happily let Tony Stark die. He says that early on, that he would let Peter Parker die. Um, I think he has come to believe that it's because Tony Stark has to live. And my own headcanon is, I think it's because Tony Stark and Cap together have to sacrifice themselves at the end of the next movie, that's a whole other conversation we can have. But I definitely think... Yeah, after a very large hug, and maybe a kiss. Yes. Um, <laughs> that would be fantastic, too. Uh, and and fan fiction world would explode if that happened. Um, also a topic we're going to do sometime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, I take the word soon out of that discussion. But, um, but, but to me, where I can lay some blame to Strange is when Thanos is the um, Ember Maw who I, I thought was a fantastic first half villain, um, such a good good character, um, shows up in the donut ship and is fighting them, and Strange refuses to just go and hide, yep. the way Tony Stark wants him to. Yep. And it's, again, superhero ego and it's hubris. hubris. Yep. It, yep. Hubris. Hubris seems the word that comes to mind for all of this. For most. So, I do, so clearly um, Wanda, clearly Scarlet Witches. Uh, actions are not motivated by hubris. Right. Uh, they're motivated motivated by wh- whether you buy into their relationship or not. Those characters are clearly established to be to be deeply in love with each other, and so not being immediately willing to sacrifice the person that you love for the greater good is not something I feel I can fairly judge someone for. Right. But you're absolutely right that Stephen Strange could have just. Off, right? And it would have been it would have been better than what he ultimately decided to do. But he's like, no, I'm this I'm the sorcerer supreme. I can handle this. Yeah. Right? Or um uh, uh well we we didn't see how long it took the uh Asgardian refugee ship to get sacked, but I'm assuming that it just got sacked because they weren't able to, to yeah. put up anything resembling the fight. Um is, is there actually another so I'm trying to think through the uh oh so so Gamora watching Nebula. This is again, so she loves her sister, right? Yeah. So Gamora being unwilling to sit there while Nebula suffers and ultimately giving up the location of the Soul Stone, a decision that she herself pays for with the ultimate price, 
yeah, I'm going to sit here and say that it was the wrong call and that you should just let Nebula die because clearly, but I can't really fault her for it. Well, and so here, and I want us to return at some point to that question of hubris because I think it's really important. Yes. Let's, let's go on this one again. Because, yeah, it is the... To me, Nebula was the one... I'm sorry, Gamora was the one who I most thought was in the wrong. It, not because I don't utterly emotionally relate to her situation. But in every other one of those cases, Thanos is now in the room with the Stole Stone, with the Stone, with the Infinity Stone. Or in the case of the Mind Stone, he knows where it is and he's going to be in the room soon. You know, like I said, with Loki, like it was already right there. And, and in every one of those cases, there is an argument to be made of, look, he's going to get it anyway, whether maybe I'll make the sacrifice. I disagree with that. But to me, Gamora... What Gamora did is so fundamentally different because Gamora isn't... Gamora gets him to the stone. Whereas... I, I know we want to talk about just finish this. My, my belief is if he kills Nebula and he kills Gamora, he now has absolutely no way to ever get the soul stone. And maybe he finds it in a millennia. But like the, the implication is that that is the one that is actually quite hidden from him. Right. So, and and that's, that's true. Right? So this is something that... Uh... If Gamora never gives up the information, it, you know, potentially delays his plans by, by a considerable measure. Uh, however, uh, one thing one thing I want to... I'm not really throwing it back in your face, but I'm going to throw back at you that this would be a situation if she chooses that Nebula needs to die to protect the secret, then start making a decision for somebody else, much in the same way that we are criticizing Thanos for making a decision for half the universe. Uh, now, that one is... I, 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 We'll caveat that with that, yes, Nebula says, don't tell me, right? Nebula's like, doesn't matter what happens to me, don't you dare. Uh, but Gamora not being able, not being capable of making that decision, because we criticize Cap for trying to make the decision for Vision, right? Right. Gamora being unwilling to make that decision for Nebula, I feel is something that is consistent with what we would expect a hero to do. Because Gamora was willing to sacrifice herself to protect the location of the Soul Stone. She told Peter Quill to kill her. Right. It's Peter Quill's failing that he didn't do it in time. I, I think there there is a good point there, but I also think, and, and here are my ethics professor, I, I, I was already kind of pulling up things in my ethics class of utilitarian and, and virtue ethics, and I think that there's another aspect of, of, of formal ethics here that really matters, which is the difference between active versus passive decisions. You mm -hmm. know, To me, if the decision was... You know, you either have to drive this knife into Nebula's heart, or I will get the Soul Stone. Yes, there she is making the decision for Nebula. But it, she is taking an action to kill the person. Sure. But here, if she takes no action, she has there's no action she has to take. Nebula will be tortured and probably die, but he doesn't get the Soul Stone. She has to take an affirmative action to stop the torture of her sister. And I, mm -hmm. I know that seems like kind of a, 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 a nitpicky distinction, but to me it is a very relevant distinction of, you know, like if she had said, like, you know, if she had taken an action to cause Nebula's death, I, I, I'm more by what you're talking about. The fact that it's, that it's Nebula's getting tortured and she just has the chance to stop it and decides not to stop it. You're right, it is still problematic. Um, but, but I think it's enough of a distinction that I can still say, because I think in the end, 
this is it, you, the first thing you said to me. We, we, we were talking about talking about this was was the word necessary evil. Yeah. That I do think on some level it's not just about individuals making sacrifices, but sometimes it is maybe not actively forcing someone else to be sacrificed, but not acting to stop it. Right. So so a captain ordering one of their crew to to that individual's death because it will save the rest of the crew is a decision made that is a necessary evil, but it is not. It still is ethically problematic to me because I am still like in that position. That person is still deciding the fate of another and saying this is this is how we're going to get to the greater good. I mean, and now granted, we're jumping to a very different, um, uh, a very different uh, media, uh, and I don't want to get too lost in the traction of it. But it's what Sheridan does in Babylon Five, where he orders With the crew of the one white star. Right. Mm-hmm. We're we're basically to give a very brief explanation. There, he orders one ship to let itself be captured and killed by the shadows in order to, to, to allow their plan to be tricked. And, I, I, right. and, and again, I, I find the main character of that Sheridan very ethically uh, challenged in a lot of ways. But I think, and, 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 and this is a good way to maybe get into this Huber's point, I think I have, yes, the idea of you never order someone else to sacrifice themselves is a very good ethical line to hold. And in the ideal world, I think that's one we absolutely have to hold. And I'm incredibly questioning any time because I'm always going to ask, who are you choosing to sacrifice? And why aren't you choosing to sacrifice yourself? And all those kind of things. Right. Why couldn't Gamora just commit suicide? Maybe she didn't have the tools available to her. Yeah. But that, I mean, that, that also could have worked well. Yeah. Um, and that's, again, where you get into these like, questions like, of, like, can you really require somebody to do that? Like, that doesn't seem particularly fair either. You know, envision, yeah, it's you require someone to make the above and beyond choice. But I do think for a lot of these heroes, and especially for Cap, and I know a lot of people probably are starting to think I have something really against Cap. Again, in more recent movies, I've been more and more on his, more recent discussions, I've become more and more on his side, although still more on Team Tony than I am on Team Cap, but more understanding of of Cap. But in this movie, I just think he is so wrong. And it's because... When I hear that line of we don't trade lives, what I'm thinking of is it's the Kobayashi Maru. Mm-hmm. It's that, it's the thing we talked about in the last episode, that Cap is under the belief that he is powerful enough, that he is strong enough, that he is good enough, and that his friends are, that when faced with this terrible choice of make Vision die or make half the beings in the, in the galaxy die, in the universe die, that he can say, I am good enough to find a third way. That I won't have to face the Kobayashi Maru. And for me, there is such incredible hubris in that moment. And I, I think same with Strange. That yep. he that that he thinks he is going to be able to... When, early in the movie, not later in the movie. Right. Although possibly even later in the movie, if he actually thinks he's seen that one timeline of fruition through his actions. Sure. Right. But, but yeah, to, to me, that's where it... It's the hubris of those characters that yep. I think is just so... so and if you take the pet theory for Loki and what Loki was doing in that moment, that's also hubris. And of course, Loki is not a character that we would ever say was not a prideful person. Mm-hmm. Uh, Loki's all about believing in Loki. So, but but that tracks us. That is also kind of a consistent theme in the movie that, that people who are making decisions that ultimately get us to the path where Thanos gets the Infinity Gauntlet are people who who incorrectly think that they can find a way that doesn't that doesn't make them have to sacrifice something. Right. Um, and it, some of it might just be not fully understanding the stakes, right? Not fully understanding what they're up against. So some of it I feel can be forgiven because 
our heroes have faced similar circumstances, right? Where where they have been able to, to you know, find that third option. Right. Uh, and so they've sort of been conditioned in a way to, oh, no, we're going to, like, I've done this before. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to find a way to save everybody, and it's all going to be okay. Um, of course, Bill Coulson died in Avengers, but, I mean, yeah, that was definitely a price that stuck and didn't ever get retconned at any point or, or, <laughs> or changed or corrected because there is no revolving door around death in the Marvel Universe. Tahiti, it's a magical place. Tahiti is a very <laughs> magical place. Uh, um, and I will say, um, I'm glad that, and, and I, I don't think you've seen it yet, so I'm not going to spoil anything, but this same issue of the need to make a sacrifice is also referenced in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. And I thought a great way of tying that in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to shift us to discussing what we would like to see in the, sec- in the next movie as kind of a way of closing. But is there more on these kind of questions from Infinity War? We, we've talked about the hubris. We've t- oh, actually, I'm sorry. There is actually one more big one that I want to bring up. And granted, we've talked about this issue in a lot of other ways, but I think this movie highlights it again. Everything we are seeing here is about we understand why the individual can't make the decision they need to make because of their emotional involvement in the issue. And where I keep coming back to on this is, yes, for an individual citizen, we understand, like, you know, if the individual citizen runs into a burning building, they're probably going to save the person they care about over someone they don't know. But on some level... I expect that the decisions being made, certainly by like our, my leaders, you know, that they are not going to be made just out of personal desire, but out of the greater good, you mm-hmm. know, um, with a degree of compassion and not getting to utilitarian is an aspect, but that personal biases can be set aside. And certainly I would hope that from our police and our military and our firefighters and things like that, that to some extent personal bias can be set aside or at least... When an individual has a personal bias, they can recognize that and say, I can't make the decision here. Someone else who's more impartial has to do the triage work. Right, where they recuse themselves in those situations. Right. right. And I, it, it, what it comes back to me is, 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 to me, what I think of as the biggest problem I have with superheroes is that because there is no sort of established order, no bureaucracy, no overarching you know, decision-making, all of them are always going to be in that place of I have sort of been appointed or appointed myself to save everybody, but I also have my personal biases. And so I go save Lois instead of stopping um, the, the thing at uh, Doomsday. You mm-hmm. know, um, I, I save my brother or I save my sister instead of saving humanity. Or I say in the, in the, in the first uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, I save Mary Jane rather than the car full of... Uh, Civilians, although he right. saves both because because superheroes cheat all the time. Right. It, again, they, they've been conditioned through through our for our very stories. They have been conditioned to believe there is in fact a way to save everybody. Right. I, I need to go to take it. I, I know I'm probably going to get a lot of hate for this, but but here's my hot take. I think the leaders of Shield are right to nuke New York at the end of Avengers. Mm. You know, and and. Again, Tony Stark and, and Cap, they are able to cheat. They are able to do yeah. both. But when faced with the, those choices, I think their dispassionate decision makes some sense. And, and I guess I'm, I'm coming around a little bit from where you're coming from in that I think all of them make the wrong decision. And I hope the next movie is going to be about them changing it. 
I think you've convinced me to blame them a little bit less because, of course, their emotional involvement to it. But it again makes me think, that's why I want Sokovia right. of some kind. That's what, because what I want is, and not General Ross, he's terrible, but I want some other body making the decision that doesn't have the emotional connection. Because what it again comes down to is, if these heroes are enforcers of justice, which that means they are to some extent a police force, a law enforcement force, a military, their emotional involvement shouldn't be what makes their decisions. Right. And they don't have somebody, so, so the Avengers, for example, do not have somebody like Superman, uh, the way that the Justice League does, where, uh, well, of course, and, and Superman, as we discussed in the previous episode, has a hard time making hard decisions, uh, which is why that usually doesn't fall to him. But, uh, but in the case of the Avengers, each and every one of them individually uh, has been placed in situations where they potentially had to make a hard choice and then got to got the cheap way out of it. Uh, I do agree with you, actually, uh, that the best solution to this particular problem is probably to have a centralized agency whose job it is to to be the people who make that call, to be the people who who, who create the arbitrary decision, the the neutral, unbiased, free from from outside information or outside information, but free from um, personalized information right. uh, decisions, rather than our individual heroes, because as even though I, I do believe Steve Rogers, are, you know, he's got a good head on his shoulders, he's got a good heart, he really believes that he can save everybody. Steve Rogers is not always going to make the right decision because he is right. grounded in that belief that he can save everybody. And I think it is fair that we note that we are talking about a perfectly impartial, perfectly fair, per- perfectly bureaucratic organization right. that would be impossible to create right. that, because of really human frailties and failings. Right. And someone pointed something out to me recently that I don't think I've talked about, but that actually, again, took me one more step to really being able to better identify with why Cap is, does the thing he does, even though I disagree with him, which is that since he personally in Winter Soldier, I mean, he more directly than anyone has seen, like, he did believe in an agency. He did mm-hmm. believe in S.H.I.E.L.D. And S.H.I.E.L.D., it turned out, was completely taken over by HYDRA. And so he, more than anyone, has a reason to be like, fuck this, I'm not trusting another agency, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trusting myself. And again, I, I, when someone pointed that out, I could really emotionally relate and support to that, support him in that. But I do still think an imperfect agency, make, an imperfect bureaucracy making a decision is going to be better than the imperfect people. Assuming um, no corruption from institutions, right? Like you also don't let it get taken over by Hydra, right? Um, well, right, because obviously we're we're all perfect, but uh, but it, it's it's better to have a, a collection of people that can that can debate these right. things, right, and that can come to some something resembling consensus or some kind of majority vote and have some kind of established rules governing that, than to have an individual like Captain America. Saying nope, we're not making that decision. We're going to do this other thing instead, right. without any kind of oversight, without any kind of of well, I was about to say without any kind of consequence. There's absolutely consequences they lost, right? right? Um, but yeah. if somebody, I feel, I, I almost feel as though if Tony Stark were actually on the planet at that time, he might have talked with Cap and said, "This might actually be the right." Yeah. Because Tony Stark does understand sacrifice in that way. Was willing to throw himself out 
at the end of Avengers. Yeah. That being said, yes and he's no. also the biggest pile of hubris we have in this universe. So. Yes and no, because what if it's Peter Parker who has to be Oh, yeah. Then, then, There's then no way Tony is doing way off of it, right? <laughs> but that's a situation where he would have to recuse himself because he has a strong personal bias. I think that's right. And I, I, there's another point I want to make, which actually it, it, um, it was first pointed out to me by um, a, a friend and colleague of ours, Margaret, um, who, who works at the store that I work at, one of my bosses. Um, well, she was saying that, because as we're talking about this, part of what I'm thinking of is I wish Black Panther had been in that discussion of do we sacrifice or not? Because obviously he was one of the chief supporters of, of Tony and, and the Sakurian mm-hmm. Accords and all that. And... On the one hand, Wakanda deciding that they're going to stand up and fight for the rest of the world and the rest of the universe and not just for Wakanda is this beautiful moment of somewhat the repudiation of what had been Wakanda had been doing wrong. And it's somewhat a, maybe, you know, to me, and, and there's a whole other discussion we could have there, and I'm, I'm glad that as two white guys we're not really having the discussion, but, but the, like, what did Killmonger have a point? You know, and I, to me, Killmonger is very much in the Magneto character position of I disagree with his methods but I absolutely agree with his 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 perspective and his his goal and I think it's it's great that Wakanda is now sort of adopting his perspective yeah. in a different way because he wants to help oppress people fight and it's not the same thing agreed but but they are adopting the idea of we're going to do more to help the outside world not just Wakanda but the point Margaret made that I I has really stuck with me is I wish it had been more than vision because mm-hmm. if it was where I thought they were honestly going was that the, the last stone was under the so it was buried under Wakanda, and that was part of why the heart-shaped flower and vibranium, that there's there's something in that or some other reason. But there was gonna be some reason, or that like just Wakanda said, we will make our fight here because we will contribute this. Right. But doing it all to save vision, as you said, it's like, why would they choose to sacrifice all of those hundreds, if not thousands, of Wakandan lives? To save a robot. To save, to save a no android. Well, to save one person. Yes. Right? You, you you can call him a robot, that's fine. He's still a person. Right. right? But yes, like that that's that's the exact opposite of the admittedly utilitarian argument of you're putting the needs of the one over the needs of the many. And that's completely turning on its head from, from what vision wanted yep. and from what most heroes I feel should be should be wanting. Like, they should have had real problems with those, like, even if every single Wakanda was there, like, yes, we are gonna, we are willing to lay down our lives for this one person. Somebody should have been sitting there saying, but, but, but he wants to make the sacrifice himself. Isn't that better than everybody here making that sacrifice? Yeah. And I, I just, that, that is the part of the movie I have the biggest problem with. And it's not because I don't think it, it wasn't a good movie or a good story beat. Um, yes, it definitely was, but it did create the situation where we were holding one entity's existence as more valuable than many, many other entities. I, I, I can't right. hold truck with that. I, I can't. Well, and I, I think it gets to a a flaw in many people's ethical reasoning, which is that you don't want to make the sacrifice that you can see and you have to think about. Because you are making the sacrifices that you're not thinking about. You know, and this, this is the whole point of the Black Lives Matter movement is like, how much are we agreeing to sacrifice all those lives to keep the, the level of stability and privilege that we have? They don't, 
if someone were to say to T'Challa, are you willing to sacrifice hundreds of lives of your people in order to protect Vision? I think he never says yes. Right. But he doesn't think about it in those terms. Right. You know? He's thinking and, we're protecting the universe, right, by protecting the Mind Stone. Right. Um, where, again, he could just destroy the damn Mind Stone. Um, let, let, let's use this to, because we've gone, we're about an hour and I want to start wrapping up, but let, let's, let's use this to talk about what we want to see in the next movie, because I, I do think the problems that I have with our character, I'm going into this movie thinking that the writers agree with me that our characters were wrong. And I'm really hoping the second movie sees that. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of hoping to see those things paid off in the second movie. Um, what about you? What are you, what, what do you want to see in the movie to help write these questions? So I have, I have some thoughts. Uh, first, what I would really like to have happen, I know is, I know for a fact is not going to happen. What I would like to have happen is actually for the resolution to stick. Yeah. And for our characters to have to deal with that. And deal with that future. And even when they go in and confront Thanos, it's not something that they can ever undo. Uh, and and have to deal with the fact that they, because they were incapable of making those, I mean, most of the people who were responsible for making the decision got dusted at yeah. the end, which was in, in a lot of ways upsetting. Like, Strange strange got dusted. Uh, uh, Scarlet Witch went away. Uh, Peter, Quill. Peter Quill went away. This, like... Gamora didn't get dusted, but yes, she died. G- Gamora was dead, so like all these people who were not willing to... Uh, Loki... Maybe is dead, yeah. right? <laughs> but not Cap. So, but, not, but not Captain America, right? So he can learn. Um, what? So so I don't. I think it would, that would be interesting. Um, I think that would actually be a very good story. I, I because of contracts among other things, yeah. and because this is not how Marvel works, and this wasn't what happened in the uh, the oh. comic of the Infinity Crisis or whatever they call it. I think it was called the Infinity Crisis, but. Could be mistaken. Uh, somebody, please correct me, because uh, I I have no no ego to wound here. I I wanted to read this particular story for a while, even though it's completely ridiculous. If you read the summary of it, um, but uh, the whole thing gets you know reset buttoned basically in the original story, and the stones get redistributed. I think they're going to do something like that. What I would love to see for the execution of that is for them to get. The time stone back. So get the time stone off the out of the gauntlet. Yeah. Um, use the time stone. Go back and sequentially have those people make that decision, and see. And then so you see like the the past time where this is happening, and in the future you see the gauntlet and the stones are bursting away from the gauntlet as Loki goes. Nope. Yeah. For us to die, one of the stones goes away, and then uh, Scarlet Witch going. Okay. Nope. We're gonna. Uh, I have to nuke Vision's yeah. stone out of his head. Oops. Uh, I, and, and and cascade that way. Yeah, I, I think that would not be as satisfying to me as the way I'm envisioning it, in part because I just hate time travel stories so much. But I think the way you're painting it would be really good. The, the, the team that I'm on, because I've seen a couple of these theories poet around, is that they are going to get the soul stone back by making their own sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And and that that's how that they, you know, that Cap realizes that they do have to trade lives. And and where I think they're going, both because I think this would be an interesting story beat and would kind of fit the because let's be honest, a lot of this is about economic decisions. Mm-hmm. And Chris uh, Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. are both at the end of their contracts. And 
you know, someone pointed out that it felt very weird that it's all the original, all of the original Avengers are still alive, mm-hmm. you know? And I think maybe what's going to happen is that all of them are going to somehow wind up being sacrificed because that then puts a fantastic, I mean, A, I think it, it, it puts paid to Cap being wrong and Cap learning that and Tony learning that and then willing, willing to make those sacrifices as well as Thor and Hulk. But also it then sets up that is the end of the of original Avengers story. And now we have room for right. T'Challa and Spider-Man yep. and this next generation to come yep. in. Oh, and and uh, Adam Warlock, who definitely will be showing up before the yeah. uh, before the next and Marvel Captain and, Marvel, right? Uh, Captain Marvel for sure. That's that's just straight up confirmed now because yeah. we saw the Captain Marvel symbol on the Fury's phone and at the stinger at the very end. That half the people in the theater when I was watching it walked out before it happened. I'm like, how can you how can you go to a episode? <laughs> Very brief rant. How can you go to a Marvel movie in a theater, not see a post-credits or mid-credits scene, and think that you're good, and there's nothing else to see? Yeah. I'm, I'm expecting that maybe those people had, like, been, this was their second watch of the movie or something, or maybe they just didn't know any better. But, um, but yeah, so so Captain Marvel is 100% confirmed. James Gunn said for sure Warlock was not in Infinity War, or was not in this movie. But I'm pretty sure that, that they're cognizant of that character. Yeah. Um, so originally, uh, Morlock was the was the possessor of the Soul Stone. So clearly, they're changing that plot line. But he probably will ultimately end up being the the possessor of the Soul Stone. That's who the um, remember the aliens from Guardians Two. Yeah. Uh, that's who they're working. Yeah. The hierarchy, yeah. 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 The, yeah, the, the, the hierarchy. The um, the monarch. The, the aristocracy or whatever the crap yeah, they call them. The gold kids. Yes. Um, yes. Um. But yeah, no, I I think that's absolutely true. I think it's gonna be, and I, I think that would that would be satisfying to me. That would be a good end for Cap and for Tony, yes. and maybe Thor and Hulk stay around, or maybe they don't. But but a way to sort of make room for, frankly, all these great new characters who I want to see have their own movies. I mean, I I want more. Like when they when T'Challa died, that was the only part where I was like, that guy, that was a punch in the gut. That was such a punch in the gut. But it was also a like. Really, Marvel? You're going to kill no. all the successful here? No. And, and also, you finally gave us a black superhero and you immediately killed him? Yeah. Like, I I, 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 that was the clear indicator that no, these deaths aren't sick. Right. Which, um, in a lot of ways, cheapens the deaths. But it also, I mean, like, but still, Peter Parker saying it made me cry. You know, like, the him begging Tony, I don't want to die. Yeah. Like, that, that moment has the resonance it does. Uh, I, I, on some level, you're right. I, I wish. But it's also just. I don't know how you tell the rest of the stories. I mean, like, I'll be honest. I am super excited for Luke Cage in a month. Mm-hmm. I have no idea what they do with Luke Cage. I think they have to set it, like, just back in time a couple of months. Because or they acknowledge that uh, half the world's population is gone. And that's a huge thing, right? I just... To me, half the world population going would be such a fundamentally world-changing event... I don't see how you possibly do it and still have it be a Luke Cage story in any recognizable way. Um, uh, there, there are ways. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah. see what they do with it. Uh, I mean, you could for sure tell an Iron Fist story that way, but like they haven't really told us an Iron Fist story. Oh, God. Story please yet. tell me half the Defenders and Danny Rand got turned to Ash. That would yeah, that was, that, that's, the, that's the Iron Fist story that I'm thinking of. Specifically. <laughs> yes, because then we just yeah. get the Connie Wing story. Yeah, exactly. Okay. exactly. I'm sold. Yeah. Yep. So, I'm sold so, so the second season of Iron Fist is actually just Daughters of the Dragon. Daughters of the Dragon. Yep. Yep. I'm in. Okay. 
we're in. See, we, we solved it. We figured uh, it out. Unfortunately, they're probably going to get Zack Snyder involved with that. Oh, okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's not actually going to happen. It's just that we almost win an entire episode without mentioning Yep, now we've so, checked the Zack Snyder's right. band box. And the Marvel Netflix, we've done it all. Yep. Yeah, we're good. Texts um, are in the mail. All right. Any last things you want to say before we do a wrap-up? Uh, so, just because we, we, we spent a lot of time talking about it, um, it's something where, where we actually, I feel, still somewhat disagree. Um, I just wanted to make it clear that um, because Gamora is... So, we, we had two female characters who had to make these, these sacrifice decisions, right? And, and really just couldn't do it. Um, because the Gamora is the one who fails the most, we spent a lot of time talking about it. And, it, like... I just wanted to come out and say that, like, I don't, I do not blame Gamora for any of this. I feel like her story was incredibly tragic right. from start to finish. Um, and similarly with Scarlet Witch, uh, but 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 for Gamora's sake, it's because like the price she ends up paying. So this this was something that that. Frustrates me to know it. The price Gamora ends up paying is the price that she was willing to pay, but because it's at the wrong time, it yeah. doesn't do what she wanted. Right? She wanted to die to protect the Soul Stone. Instead, she dies to give Thanos the Soul Stone. If she, if she had just not been there, he would not have been able to acquire it. And that is incredibly frustrating to me. Yeah. No, that... and there's a wonderful irony there that pays off. And I, I think I will say, I think you convinced me that there's a there's a distinction between. Was the person wrong, and do you blame them? Right. And I think it is harder for me to say I don't blame Gamora than the others, except Peter Quill, and I'll get to that in a second. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right. I maybe, maybe I'm going to take blame out of it almost entirely. Well, no, because I'm going to say it for, for Peter, but like that, that I can understand why she can't do it, and that maybe the better way to say it is to put it in her shoes, I probably wouldn't be able to do it anyway. Right. It, and, and it's it, tragic. Right? And I think... From a writing perspective, I kind of wish it was a different character who had had that happen because I think you're right with, with it being her and Scarlet Witch, and there, there's some gender stuff happening there that that's I, I wish the writers hadn't done. Um, but I will say because here's the thing: is maybe I blame Gamora a little bit, but mostly you're right. I don't blame her. Peter Quill, I blame him. I'm able to say, even though I can relate to you, like I guess I can say. I want a person to overcome their emotional love for their sister or their brother in order to save the world, half the world, but I can't expect it of them. I can expect you to get a hold of your emotions long enough to put your own dick back in your pants and your ego back inside to not punch that. And that's where I can say, in terms of a hierarchy, like, I'm, I'm mad at Gamora. I blame. Right. Maybe and, and, I mean, I, I am upset with Gamora to the same extent that I'm upset with Loki, because it is literally the same decision. This is their beloved sibling. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Thanos is is the parallel between those two situations is actually very, very strong, except, again, although at that point, Thanos doesn't actually know what the Tesseract is, so actually the parallel is identical. He thinks it's on the ship somewhere, and he's probably not wrong, but Loki could conceivably have happened. Yeah, I, I guess I, I... That's the exact reason why I was holding Gamora to the higher standard. Uh, as well, a little bit because Gamora has been presented to us as heroic in a way Loki never has. Um, 
But so it's almost sure. a sort of like Loki got well, Loki. Um, I don't know. Gamora, Gamora is more of a free agent in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies because the yeah, Guardians, that's true. The Guardians of the Galaxy are perfect. I love these movies, so so fans of these movies understand I'm saying this with, with all of the positive intentions I can, but they are children. Yeah. The the most adult member of the Guardians of the Galaxy in all of the movies is Groot. Yeah. Sometimes Rocky, sometimes Groot, but yeah. I oh, and, and actually, excuse me, in, in movie two, Mantis. Uh, so yeah. in Guardians 2 and in, and in Infinity War, Mantis is incredibly adult. Sheila. Yeah, there's no way these deaths are sticking. Mantis and Drax went away? Yeah. No. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, and I think, getting back to your point, if we, and again, here, here's one of those things where I just, I, I, I think you and I may have had different readings of the facts being presented to us. Mm-hmm. If the fact presented to us is that um, he, that Thanos doesn't know that Loki has the Tesseract and won't be able to find it, mm-hmm. then yes, the two two characters should be judged well, exactly because, the same way. Because Thanos is asking Loki, where's the Tesseract? Give it to me. Right. And Loki's like, um, no. Yeah. And I, then he summons it up. I guess, and, and, and it, it, from that, that wasn't my reading of it. Because right. my reading of it was that still he knows that it's eating that physical proximity, sure. and so he's going to get it eventually. As separate from Gamora, where it is a literally like, I don't know on what planet, where in the literal universe it is. Um, but either way, I, I think to me the end point is, you're right, I don't I don't think I can really blame them. I can be angry at them, but I can blame Peter Quill. Oh, I can blame Peter Quill. I kind of blame Cap, too, for... Because you know yeah. you know for sure that if Captain America uh, told... Well, I'm pretty confident at least that if Captain America said to Scarlet Witch, look, maybe you can do it without killing him and please try, but... We have to. We don't have another choice. I think that could have convinced her. Yeah. Um, only yeah. because he's just... He wouldn't say that if he thought there was another way. Yeah. Because and, he holds that power. And here, there... And, and, I, and then we were saying before that, like, I hope the writers know. I, I I think the writers think that Cap is wrong when he says we don't trade lives. Yes. I don't know if they realize that Cap is being a hypocrite. Right. Because I think it sounds like the kind of heroic thing that someone like Cap would say. Except that, like we said, Cap has been very willing to trade his own life multiple yeah. times. Um, so let's, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, I, I thought overall, I mean, this is a fantastic movie and it raises so many great questions. And I think, you know, I, I, I want us to sign up to, to go see Infinity War 2 when it comes to, and, and, or whenever we see it, but, but to record right after it, because we're going to have so much to talk about. And I'm, it was funny, the person I saw the movie with, the first thing that they said to me was, can we put ourselves in a coma for a year? So the idea of just waiting until right. the next movie comes out is well, just agony. Well, we're not going to wait until exactly the next movie comes out because uh, Captain Marvel gets her own movie before the next Avengers, if I'm not mistaken. Right. But so that we will set... want to see that. that yeah, yeah. Excited. That was going to be set in the 80s. Yeah. Um, which, oh, it is? Oh, yeah. That's exciting. Oh, no, yeah. We, we get Phil Coulson. Oh, Yeah, so it's going to be so good there. So, um, you got to hear what I think. You got to hear what Jacob think. What do you guys think? Obviously, this movie has prompted a lot of discussion um, we'd love to hear your perspectives. Um, what do you think of Gamora? What do you think of Peter Quill? Can you convince us that Peter Quill was actually right or that any of these others are right? Do you think Strange was wrong? What do you, um, what's your take on it? Um, you can email us, you can tweet us, you can find us on Facebook, all at Superhero Ethics. Um, you can also email us at superheroethics at gmail.com. Um, send in your thoughts on it or send in a question. We'd love to, um, to discuss it on the air. Um, also, uh, this was our 49th episode. We've decided that for our 50th episode, we are going to do something special um, where um, myself and Jacob and Paul, the original co-host, are all going to be on here. 
and we're basically going to take a tour of the Superhero Ethics Greatest Hits. We're going to look at five or six of the big questions that we've addressed in the past and kind of re-ask them, in part to give Paul and Jacob a chance to bounce their ideas off each other, but in part also to see how have our thoughts on those questions evolved. Uh, and we haven't picked those questions yet, so we want to open it to you all. What have been some of the questions that we have started to touch on or that we went into in depth and you want us to do more on or anything like that? What, what's a question you'd like us to talk about in that sort of global wrap-up episode? Uh, it'll be in a couple weeks. So again, tweet us, Facebook us, super, um, uh, email us, um, however you want to find us, go for it. Um, so that's for me signing off. Jacob, any last words? Uh, please have one of those be our robots people too. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding, but uh, I, that is clearly a topic. It was one of the first ones that I, that I had done, um, the, and the, uh, the telepaths one, obviously, yeah. very, very near and dear to my heart. But seriously, uh, love talking about these things. Uh, I really wish we had gotten more time to talk about Thanos as a character, but, yeah. we, but we'll probably bring him up again, but like much in the same way we brought up Wilson Fist. I'm sure. Uh, that's it for me. I, I look forward to seeing what people uh, what people have to contribute to the conversation. Uh, yeah. And as long as you know, as long as this is something we can engage with, we are happy to do so. We we do that frequently. Um, whenever we see comments go out, if we feel we have something to to add or to reply or to uh, to go back and forth with, we'll do that. Yeah, and, and I will say, I think robots are people too. Um, we may well talk about it on the fiftieth episode, but either way, we're definitely going to be talking about it soon. Um, I know we've talked about wanting to do something about Westworld and about mm -hmm. Blade Runner, both of which really explore those questions. And I also actually posted a, a really interesting it, uh, article on the um, Superhero Ethics Facebook page about that question, specifically referencing Westworld. So I really encourage folks, if you want to start discussing that, look at that article and start posting things there. And I'm sure Jacob would love to find some time to, to get to you, as would I. So I'm having Jacob and myself, I'm having Paul coming soon. Um, thank you all so much for being part of this. Have a good day.